Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek and welcome to episode 334 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the naked truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, her poop. Yeah, yeah, you, you heard me right. I'll say it again, her poop. This is going to be a wild and crazy ride. All right, we have a terrific show coming up. And just know that this episode is made possible by our wonderful friends at Smarty Pants Women's Vitamins, the delicious once-a-day gummies that contain all of the essential vitamins, minerals, and omega oils customized just for women. To learn more, hop on over to smartypantsvitamins.com. And here's your first reminder to click on to iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show because I love your feedback. That's why I'll give you another little reminder later on. All right, it's time for Her. Her, the podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about Her. Now, the moment I saw the title of the book we're going to be discussing, I said, got to get this gastroenterologist on my show. All right, you ready for the title of the book? Let's Talk Shit, Disease, Digestion, and Fecal Transplants. Good Lord, what have I just gotten myself into now? Oh, she said the S word. Yeah, but it was medical, so just you know, get off your high horse already. All right. So the author is Dr. Sabine Hazan, and she has over 22 years of experience in clinical trials, and I'm a clinical scientist, you know that. So I know Girlfriend has been working it and is the founder and CEO of both Ventura Clinical Trials and Malibu Specialty Center. Anything in Malibu is totally cool with me. That's all I can say. She's a principal investigator in multiple trials. She was the first woman ever accepted into the University of Florida as a clinical gastroenterology fellow. And I got to tell you, that is a big thing. So she is a pioneer in the medical field. She's also board certified in gastroenterology, hepatology, and internal medicine. I'm exhausted. Sabine, welcome to the Her Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Why did you write this crazy-ass book? I mean, this is, this is hysterical. I love this book. Oh, my gosh. So tell me why you wrote it. Um, well, you know, I do, I've done clinical trials for the last 25 years, probably, from being in uh, research. My first year at University of Florida was strictly dedicated to do research. That's how I got into GI. And so I was dealing with pharmaceutical products back then, um, you know, antibiotics and the beginning of uh, biologics, Remicade for Crohn's disease. And, of course, we saw Remicade uh, became Umera, became Stelara, became multiple biologics for multiple diseases. I was always known in the clinical trial world as the queen of C. diff, a bacteria that you catch from getting antibiotics. Forever we used to think that it was doctors actually giving it to patients, but really we realized as we started doing fecal transplant, putting stools of healthy donors into a non-healthy patient with C. diff, that we attained cures because we were reinstating the microbes, reinstating the diversity, and therefore suppressing C. diff from secreting its toxins. So we realized we had it all wrong with C. diff. And of course, you know, pharmaceutical companies see that and start developing products on the microbiome. And my thought was always, well, we're 
and I would see improvement with fecal transplant, with fecal tra- uh, with uh, microbiome transplant for C. diff, but I would also see a couple of cases of, you know, arthritis improved in one patient, Alzheimer's improved in one of my patients. And so I started asking the questions to all my colleagues that were doing, you know, microbiome transplant, and they all had these little cases that improved. And we all started asking the same questions. Well, what is in the microbiome that's changing? What are we seeing? And so that was my main interest was going into this abyss of trying to understand what we're seeing and the miracle that we're seeing when a patient improves with arthritis or a patient with from Colleen Kelly who improved with alopecia areata and started have growing hair. So that was really my interest. When the pharma world became shit in a capsule, and I'm going to say it because you already said it, uh, I asked myself, what are we doing? We don't even understand what we're seeing or doing and we're already in the shit business in pharma. So I wanted the public to understand it. And so I wrote the book not to sugarcoat it, but to basically say, you know, let's talk shit. That's what it's all about. And also to, you know, make people smile. I think it's, you know, whenever someone says that, it's funny. People laugh. You remove that uncomfortable feeling, and people are more apt to talk to you about a topic that is, uncomfortable for most. You know, most people are very shy about talking about their bowel movements, but they need to because that's a clue. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So one of the things that people, consumers, our patients are really becoming much more familiar with, they're not, you know, giving you a blank stare. Uh, The grand majority of people now have heard about the microbiome uh, you know, when they read Prevention Magazine or, you know, whatever's out there and back and forth, it's become a thing. And so tell us about the microbiome because everything you're talking about is really within the housing of the GI tract, which involves a microbiome. And that's where C. diff and all of these other organisms hang out. Right. Well, the microbiome is really your immunity, right? Those microbes in your gut are your immunity. Everything ends up in the gut, whether you have, you know, we found COVID-19 in the gut. So we were the first lab that actually found the whole sequence of COVID-19 in the stools of patients. And in fact, now from the studies, people are realizing that Dogs are actually a better tester of COVID because they can sniff COVID from stools and fecal material. So there is a smell. There is something, you know, that the virus kind of does in the gut. And so I wanted to pay attention to it. We're coming out with amazing data that shows that actually your immunity is in the gut and that if you start off with, you know, a loss of good microbiome to begin with, you're more predisposed to having COVID. And that data is going to be coming out without saying what's going on in there. But the bottom line is we are definitely seeing something in the microbiome. We're seeing it in autism. We're seeing it in Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, MS. That's why I joined with Dr. Sheldon Jordan. And actually, we wrote another book called Regenesis, which is basically all about the gut-brain access and how if you're going to think about fixing Alzheimer's, autism, you have to start with the gut first and the brain second, or the brain first and the gut second, but you cannot ignore the gut. 
So the microbiome. Oh, I love that. this one piece of this. Well, the microbiome has how many little organisms trillions, in there? Little trillions. There you go. And and you're talking about friends with benefits. Yes. And this is this is why one of the things I love to do, Sabine, is you know before I have a nice nutritious meal, I look down at my uh, tummy. And um, I just yell out and I go, so what do you guys want today? And they usually tell <laughs> and, you, right? Hell it's yeah, like, they I'm do. I'm craving sugar. Or, or what they say is, honestly, I'm craving some greens. I'm, I'm craving some protein. I'm craving some, you know, and it's really interesting just to be aware of the fact that this isn't some big black box there that you don't have any clues to what's going on inside that black box. I will tell you, I bet I'll put money on that when you and I both went through med school, there was like, well, you know, we're not quite sure. And, and all we really talked about were inflammatory bowel diseases and, right. you know, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, then we find out, you know, all heck's breaking out in there. And to your point, um, there's a huge platform for the immune system at the same time. Um, huge. So, oh, it's, it's a monster. And, you know, one of my favorite things to say, and oh gosh, tell me if I got this right, Sabine, but um, so many people for so many years uh, attach serotonin to the brain. Turns out about 90% of serotonin is secreted by the gut. And 100%. So, Absolutely. Yes. And so what end, ends up happening is that if you're eating trash all day and blowing out your gut with inflammation and leaky gut, well, what do you think's going to happen to your mood? Because serotonin um, is so critical to mood modulation. So no wonder you have such a bad attitude and you're in a rotten state mentally um, when you're really spending 24-7 trashing your gut. What do you think about that? A hundred percent. But it's not only the food. It's also the drugs, the alcohol, the oh, overdoing yes. it of alcohol. Overdoing it of anything, right? So if you're diabetic and you're overweight and you're eating donuts, you've, you've accustomed your body to eating donuts. Of course your microbiome is going to want to require these donuts. That's all you have in your gut. So you have to drastically change, especially if you have obesity, which is a sign of dysbiosis. We actually just published a paper where we gave mice, um, virgin mice basically, like skinny mice, a high fatty meal, and we noticed that it created a gut dysbiosis in the microbiome, an imbalance, and essentially from that, um, the mice became overweight and ha started exhibiting inflammatory response in there. So we linked fatty meal to gut dysbiosis, to obesity, to inflammation. And that's actually a great paper to demonstrate the power of what we're feeding our gut. So if you're eating a fatty meal once in a while, it's not a big deal. You're not going to be, you know, make, creating that imbalance. But if you continue to eat fat, you're going to create an imbalance. And so we all know the secret to weight loss, you know, eat less, move more. You know, I, people have come out with all these diets, but at the end of the day, eat less, move more. That's it. Keep your gut in balance. I love it. I love it. I love it. So that's, um, that turns out to be, you know, something that people are only now becoming much more aware of, no question. But you know, when, when this whole issue of microbiome comes up, people immediately start panicking, saying, well, should I be doing prebiotics, probiotics? 
What am I supposed to do to maintain a healthy microbiome? Right, and that's a very good question, right? So what I've come to realize is that the microbiome is very specialized and very individualized, right? And why? Because we're all different. We all have different fingerprints. So if we have different fingerprints, we have different microbes in our guts. And we have different predispositions to diseases because of those microbes, perhaps, and our genetics. It's not just the microbes in the gut. And by the way, the microbiome in stools, and I think people don't realize this, a stool specimen is not just microbes. It's also DNA, human DNA. You can actually extract human DNA from a stool sample. So your DNA is all mixed in with all that. So all that microbiome, that DNA of viruses, bacteria, and human cells are all mixed into that, you know, piece of bowel movement you see in your toilet. So there's a huge power in that um, that goes back into the earth, really. Um, So I think, you know, how do we change? If you're healthy and you have longevity in your family, then don't change anything because guess what? You're on the right path. Just keep eating what your family was eating and just stay healthy and decrease stress and, you know, live life and don't stress about it. Um, I think anxiety and stress, and we've become a society that is overly stressed. You know, we drink three, four cups of coffee uh, a day. We are overworked. We're we're, um, all wanting all these things, these material things that just create extra stress. And we're looking at social media social media that gives us more anxiety because we're hearing fear from COVID and fear from this and fear from that. So the level of anxiety around the world and in the population is increased, which doesn't really help the microbiome to begin with. All right. Talk to us about inflammation, right? So, you know, we all know that when you hear the word itis, colitis, for instance, it's inflammation of the colon. But why, right now, everyone's talking about, um, you know, the inflammatory diet, the anti-inflammatory diet. What, what role does inflammation play in this whole gut story? Well, um, you know, when you look at the microbiome of Crohn's patients, you know, for example, we notice that there's an imbalance in the microbiome of Crohn's patients. Now, you know, some patients, we are noticing some microbes, like mycobacteria paratuberculosis, for example, that's in the gut. Now, remember, for inflammatory bowel disease, especially Crohn's disease, for years, you know, you have a patient that comes in with a inflammation in the terminal ileum, right, and you notice an abnormal spot on CAT scan, and right away you're thinking Crohn's disease and you're putting this patient on, you know, the slew of medications for Crohn's. But how do you know that that patient is not mycobacteria paratuberculosis or tuberculosis of the gut, right? If you look at um, the cows, right, and you know this disease called Yoni's disease, which is basically mycobacteria paratuberculosis. Now, Yoni's disease in the cows looks exactly like Crohn's disease. So, when you talk about inflammation, you're talking about really infection process potentially causing the inflammation. I mean, we definitely see it with COVID, right? You have a virus, penetrates, causes inflammation, right? And then cytokine release. So I think we have to kind of start thinking that inflammation might be from an imbalance of the gut microbiome or a specific microbe that is overgrown causing 
the domino effect, as I like to put it. You know, it's it, in the gut. It's never a one thing. It's always one thing causes another, causes another, causes another. You eat that hamburger full of antibiotics, you're going to kill a bunch of clostridiums. Now, those clostridiums and and other bugs, right? And those um, good microbes are your defense mechanism from having C. diff. You know, why do kids have C. diff, clostridium difficile, which is a bacteria that causes diarrhea, because of the fact that they they probably went to the dentist, got some antibiotics, and then started the domino effect of one thing leading to another till C. diff starts secreting its toxin because it's got a wide range of field to, to grow in. And it's, you have to look at the microbiome as basically this, you know, all these microbes occupying space in your colon. And it's really, it's, it's like space. It's a, it's the, it's a new organ that we have to look at. And so you have to look at them as, um, occupying space. And when they dis- when you destroy those microbes from occupying space, well, other microbes are gonna, that were relatively abundant normally uh, start occupying that space. And then eventually, you know, it, they grow and take over the gut. It's, it's, and I refer this to gardening, right? If you have a field and you remove your beautiful plants, your roses and your strawberries and your tulips, and you had diversity in this field, and all of a sudden you remove little by little, plants by plants, you're leaving the weeds to just grow all over the field. Pretty soon you have no life there. You just have a bunch of weeds and there's no growth, nothing. So how do you fix that problem? You have to remove all the weeds, turn the earth, put microbes back into the soil, and then replant all your plants, right? And that's what really fecal transplant is all about. It's removing all the bad microbes that accumulated in your gut cleaning out the gut, and then replanting new microbes and making sure that there's no tornado or a patient doesn't have diarrhea and evacuates all that, but also making sure it's the right microbes that are safe and not going to kill the patient. So, Well, you t- tell, tell the listeners exactly what a fecal transplant is. It's taking stools from a healthy donor after analyzing it so we don't just like take stools and say okay let's do it in our kitchen put it in a blender with some you know water you have to analyze that stool specimen to make sure there's no bad bacteria no bad viruses especially in a world of covid right now where we identified covid in the stools you don't want to take stool samples from a patient that potentially has covid in the stools implant it in you it could be deadly so um so it's basically taking stools analyzing that stools of the donor, making sure the donor is perfectly healthy. And then in a controlled environment, um, colonoscopy, that's how I do it, implant it. We take that stool that we, you know, mix as well as possible in a liquid form type of thing, and we implant it with a syringe directly into the cecum in the colon. And essentially, you're just flushing all that in there. So it's it's not a pleasant field. Uh, nobody wants to play with stools, least of all me. Um, you know, it's not very uh, attractive of a field. But it is a field that, you know, all of us have stepped in because we saw something. And, um, you know, if I didn't see something, I, there's no way I would be doing this. I feel the same way. Um, so outside of C. difficile, which is a a very, you know, pathogenic 
organism that you definitely want to bring under control because that could be deadly. And the fecal transplants um, now in published literature have really been shown to be uh, quite effective um, in controlling that. Why else would you have a fecal transplant? Well, under IND, uh, investigative new drug with the FDA, you can submit a protocol to do fecal transplant uh, for, you know, neurological problems. Uh, we started autism right now. We're submitted, we submitted an IND for fecal transplant for autism, so we're going to start seeing the data in the next couple of years to see if this is helping these kids or not. Um, the next one that I'm working with, Dr. Sheldon Jordan, is actually Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, because I feel like those are debilitating diseases that people need help. Um, we have identified something in the microbiome, but of course, you know, the microbiome is trillions of bugs. We only know about 20,000 bugs at most in there uh, by names, uh, but we don't even know their function, right? So, it's a whole new dictionary that is written. In other words, you know, when I first started looking and I saw Rosaburia, and the first thing I started looking, Rosaburia, why is my patient having so much Rosaburia, right? And then I didn't know anything about it. No infectious disease book has anything on that microbe. And then I started seeing it on other diseases, other patients, and started making correlations. And that's really what I'm doing. I'm writing the dictionary of all these microbes and diseases to see, okay, well, where else did I see, you know, Rosaburium? Where did I see Facilobacterium pratsnitsi? You know, and those are full words. I mean, these are not simple bugs. So, and remember med school, do you remember ever knowing anything about Facilobacterium pratsnitsi? Uh, how about zero um. <laughs> exactly. So we know strep pneumonia, Klebsiella pneumonia, strongyloides. Right. I mean, a couple of bugs here and there, even infectious disease, have no idea. In fact, I, I joke with my colleagues because I always say, oh, yeah, I saw this in the microbiome. And all of them are, you know, Sabine, none of us know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> oh, say, well, yeah. Because I'm writing the dictionary. I'm doing the clinical trials. So, you know. This is how you do it. You have to see the data, and then you have to show the data. You have to publish the data, and, and that's, uh, that's the beginning. Well, let me ask you a question. Let me turn now to, well, poop. So, you know, the grand majority of people don't talk about it. Um, they, you know, they talk about what goes in your mouth, not what comes out the other end. Um, and yet, at the same time, Many of us note changes in our bowel habits. And this, you argue in the book, is a strong indicator of digestive health. Um, walk us through some of, the, of what you're really talking about here. You were talking about the color, shape, texture of the stool, and it, and it could really help you understand about digestive issues. Let's go to that place for a minute. Sure. Well, I think you remember from med school, if a patient starts with a new onset diarrhea or constipation, you know, that's a, that's a red flag, right? You start asking the question, why is that happening? So, of course, if it's a one day and they go from normal bowel movements to now all of a sudden, you know, for one week they haven't had a bowel movement, maybe it's in their diet. But if it persists and then they, you know, slowly become constipated, that probably needs to be looked at. Same thing with diarrhea. You go from normal to all of a sudden you're having diarrhea. That needs to be looked at as well. So change from the normal is the first sign, right, of looking at your bowels. The second sign is 
is their blood, right? Any blood needs to be investigated. I mean, my first, um, you know, 20 cases of, of colonoscopy as a fellow, my one of my 20 patients was 18 years old with colon cancer. So, you know, anybody that's having rectal bleed should be evaluated because, yes, it could be hemorrhoids most commonly, but you got to make sure that there's no cancer. You know, I've had 29-year-olds with cancer, 27-year-olds with cancer, 18-year-old, that patient. So I think that blood is a is a sign that you need to be seen. Changes from consistency, right, from like a, that big, long bowel movement to little pebbles or rabbit poop, as I like to call it, you know, that also needs to be wondered what's going on. Is it that you're missing fiber? Maybe then at that point you need to incorporate prebiotics, change your diet, you know, get rid of the chocolate, get rid of the, you know, three bananas you're eating, the four apples you're eating, the rice, you know, with sushi, etc. So, you know, I think those are the the first thing, um, consistency and then shape, um, you know, going from regular bowel movement to a pencil shape or little rabbit poop needs to be looked at. And um, color, of course, because then it could signify, you know, different um, other problems, you know, liver problem, pancreatic problem. And, you know, the other thing that I always like to ask my patients is, is your float, is your poop sinking to the bottom or is it floating? If it's floating, then, you know, you may have a pancreatic problem or malabsorption of fat. So that needs to be looked at um, as well. So I think that's why you pay attention to the stools. Wow. Okay. So. But I think you'll agree with me. No doctor wants to see a picture of stools. No, right? no. Nobody wants to have a little looky poop pie, a looky poop pie um, at any of that, um, to say the least. So. You know, as as someone is sitting here, they're they're saying, "Well, okay, wow, um, I got to pay more attention to my my digestive health." Um, you know, and I know that all across Doctor Google, um, there's a whole lot of misinformation out there. G- give lot. us give us uh, some samples of what kind of misinformation makes you crazy when you go to Dr. Google and your patients come in saying, but I read this on the internet. Right. So the things that drive me crazy is when I see children that are like my kid's age and taking probiotics and there's nothing wrong with them. And I look at them and they're taking these capsules of pills and I say, what are you taking? They're like, oh, probiotics are good for me. And I say, do you have any problems? Are you not healthy? And, of course, they're, they're healthy. They're, they're kids. They're out there, right? And so why would you want to take something if you're healthy? If your gut is working, why are you taking a pill that's in a bottle that nobody overlooked? So that's my first thing. And, and I'm also like a very big skeptic, right? I question everything. I mean, that's what makes me a scientist because... I don't trust any data unless I reproduce it myself, right? So if somebody tells me, oh, this probiotic is good for you, I'm going to test it. I'm going to see my microbiome before and after to see if it's good for me. But most importantly, I'm going to test the product because I want to know, is it, on the, is it what it says on the back of the label, right? Now, most people don't have that ability to do so. But you would be shocked at how many products I've tested over the you know, last couple of years that are actually not what it says on the bottle. So let's start with that, right? You buy a probiotic, 
and it's supposed to be making you skinny or it's supposed to be giving you a better intelligence IQ or whatever they're selling it. And in the back of it, it says it's got some lactobacillus, bifidobacteria, uh, longum, and then you test it. You put it through the machine that we use for genetic sequencing and you find out, wait a minute, it doesn't have any of those, you know? So that's the first thing that drives me crazy is seeing all these advertisements for all these probiotic products, whether it's a drink or a pill, and and people buy into that because they think... And, and literally, literally they're buying into it. Well, we know what they're also buying into too, and I'm really, you know, curious to know your thought about this, and that is they now have companies out there where you send them a little, you know, sampling of your poop, and then they will check out the microbiome, and from that, they will develop a full nutrition program. Right. Well, what do you think? Well, th- there's um, uh, so this is a sore topic for me because actually I had I'm doing the clinical trials, right? So I know how hard it is to understand the microbiome because you have to do multiple samples, you have to do depth, you have to do deep look at the microbiome. These Reagents are super expensive. You have a choice when you look at the microbiome to look at the surface or to look at the depth of the microbiome. Remember, Ubiome got, went out of business and, and because of the fact that they were fraudulently telling the consumer that there was normal, that they were compared to some normals. Who were the normals? How can you possibly compare yourself to a normal when there's, we're all different. What is a normal? What is a normal in the microbiome? So one of the things with these companies, and, and I'll tell you, I did clinical trials um, on COVID-19 and the microbiome. One of my patients is actually the mother of a kid. She's a physician. She's the mother of a child who essentially uh, got COVID. And she's also a pediatrician, this woman, okay? And she took care of her daughter, she never got COVID. The daughter was full-on COVID. She took care of her for like, you know, 45 days. The kid was sick until she seeked my help for treatment. And we looked at her microbiome, and she actually had COVID still in the stools 45 days later. Okay? Wow. Yeah, so this was... That's amazing. And meanwhile, this woman, the pediatrician, is exposed to her daughter, never got COVID. Now, there is something in her gut that protected her. We are publishing that data. We're also publishing, there's, um, there's a couple patients in there in my study that was a farmer and a wife. The farmer was exposed to his wife who had COVID. He kissed her. He took her saliva, put it on his eyes. He never got COVID. Something in his gut protected him. So bottom line is there is something in the gut of those people that are surviving COVID and not getting it that is stronger than others that are getting it. So it's all about the microbiome. We're going to demonstrate that in a published paper, peer review. Now, what's interesting is um, this woman, the pediatrician, decided to, to look and compare her stools and use one of those stool sample tests, right? Well, let me tell you, she got sold probiotics. Now, and she was told she was lacking the actual microbe that was actually protecting her from her daughter. And so the problem that I have with that is what if that probiotic is actually dead bacteria that she's swallowing and it actually kills her good live bacteria? 
So that's a problem because the the problem is, you know, nobody's really overlooking these probiotics, right? I mean, it's in the nutritional world and it's it's considered a, you know, nutritional supplement. So nobody's really testing and proving whether that probiotic is alive or dead or even is it in the same box. So there needs to be some regulations going on, in my opinion. I think every GI doctor and every doctor around the country, and correct me if I'm wrong, is frustrated by all that because... You oh, know, there's no question about it. And then the no other big problem is... You don't is, know what the hell you're getting. No, and also they're, they're coming to your office and they're saying, doctor, I have 20% blottia. What does that mean? And I'm like, well, I don't know what it means. I'm doing the clinical trials. I mean, none of us have any idea what it means. And, you know, it, it makes it like we don't know what we're talking about, but unfortunately there needs to be research done properly and, and written properly to get to the results of this. And what also the other problem that patients don't understand is that there is a huge placebo component to these drugs. In other words, you're taking a sugar pill, but just you convinced your mind that it's helping you, and it changed your system. And maybe that's playing a role in your microbiome where you've convinced your body that you're no longer... You no longer have a problem. You're strengthening yourself. You're removing the fear. And maybe that sugar pill um, is really your your cane that's making you feel better. Okay. So really, at the end of the day, we're really in an early phase of discovery about the microbiome. We're, we're learning extraordinary things about fecal transplants and how that alters the microbiome in a, in a positive way um, when it comes to uh, controlling an infection like uh, Clostridium uh, difficile. Um, we're also really becoming more aware and enlightened about digestive health. What does that sound like? Um, what does that really mean to us? So yes, what you put in your mouth and what you're eating is having profound effects um, on what goes on with those trillions of uh, you know friendly bacteria, viruses that are uh, inhabiting your gut. No question about it. And that also, as you said, to your point, um, includes um, drugs, alcohol, um, let alone food, and you know, trying to stay the heck away from ultra-processed foods, uh, which are not even food. That's a loose term. I just call them I call I call them science fair projects, um, because you want to control the inflammation in your gut. There's no question. So as we are closing out right now. Um, everyone out there, we've been talking to Dr. Sabine Hazan, who's just written a fabulous book that's very, very consumer-friendly. It's got a good, humorous nuance to it. It's called Let's Talk Shit, Disease, Digestion, and Fecal Transplants. And Dr. Hazan is a gastroenterologist who conducts clinical trials. So she really understands what she's talking about here at a very granular level. Give us one last word of wisdom before we uh, finish up here. Uh, well, I think the consumer needs to just be aware of everything they're putting in their gut. And basically, if you don't need that antibiotic because you've got a virus, for example, like a small cold or 
you know, just ask yourself, do I really need the antibiotic? Because that could start a domino effect of your gut. And if you're going to take the antibiotic, probably supplement it with a yogurt, Activa yogurt or, you know, a kefir or probiotic yogurt. I'm very big on nutritional support. Um, you know, honey is amazing. It's the microbiome of the of the bees. Keep yourself in check. I tell everybody this is, you know, decrease anxiety, decreases um, acidity in your gut, decreases stress, and, and keeps yourself in a balance to stay healthy. I think that's the most important. Um, you know, I think in life everything is about balance, balance of what you're taking in as food, but also balance of what you're doing as work, work hard, play hard, you know, be in a constant check mode uh, mentally um, to to see if you're you know healthy. So that's that's it. And also opening up to the microbiome because the microbiome is really a mini universe. If we kill a group of microbes, then there's disease. And if we keep the balance, diversity, a lot of microbes living together symbiotically, we have health. So we should learn that even on planet Earth as we look at all human beings together, different races, different religions, different everything. Living together in symbiosis creates a healthy planet. Living in dysbiosis or imbalance and creating, you know, inequalities and everything creates a, a problem in the future, I think, so and a diseased planet. I love it. Okay, so, you know, what you're really arguing for is balance here and balance and diversity. Um, and honestly, what's wrong with whole food, beautiful yeah. produce, you know, um, and, and natural foods and staying the heck away from processed foods because, quite frankly, they are pro-inflammatory. And as an expert in nutrition, honey, I'm going to tell you, that is the truth. Dr. Sabine Hazan, thank you so much for being on the Her Podcast. Absolutely. And everyone right now, run on over to iTunes, rate and review the show. I want to hear from you because I'm Dr. Pam Peek, host of the Her Podcast. Please follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peek MD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Her Podcast on iTunes or Radio MD. Thanks so much for listening today. Please stay safe and stay well.